The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. We are not paying you to try, Mr. Calder. We expect results. And you might have had results if you had done as I asked. Conduct your experiments at our laboratories at Berezovo, where we could have supplied you with skilled assistance. Instead of which, you buried yourself here in the Andes, alone. No one to assist you. You mean, uh, no one to watch over me, thank you. I've had one taste of jail. I don't know why you complain. We want scientists of your caliber, Mr. Calder. We treat them well when they serve us. Serve? Are you talking to me? I don't owe you anything. You owe us your freedom. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, September the 10th, 2020. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Sad to say... Modern societies continue to be blinded by science and statistics instead of being enlightened by them. And you can blame that on two of the major recurring themes that I want to address today. First, the more urgent one, that being the fake news media. And then the more essential and critical one concerning government. The unavoidable necessity of defining issues in terms of left and right, without which Political action and movement is impossible. Trust me, today's show is going to be a learning experience for all of us, and it all gets underway right after I let you know that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, and our archived broadcasts. And as always, consider offering your financial support because everyone who donates $25 or more will receive a copy of our 52-page full-color publication, Climate Essentials, written by one of our regular guests, Dave Plum. Now, I've had some deep concerns raised over the past several weeks about what needs to be said and placed on the record about many of the forces at play behind this whole politically contrived COVID-19 pandemic. As the statistically fraudulent propaganda reports about COVID-19 deaths and quote-unquote cases continue in the mainstream media unabated, the easy-to-determine realities about COVID-19 bear little or no resemblance to the official narrative. That narrative is now trying to guarantee us a second-wave case lockdown based on the precautionary principle and supported by fake statistical measurements of so-called quote-unquote cases. And of course, we covered all of that last week by way of clearing up some of the key definitions framing the COVID debate. Not surprisingly, those relying solely on mainstream media remain utterly unaware of the gigantic anti-COVID-19 lockdown protests occurring around the world. Last week we talked about the August 29th anti-COVID lockdown and forced masking protests in Berlin, London, and Ottawa, the latter being the one we focused on. And as I understand it, there's another protest coming up this weekend in Vancouver to be held on September 13th. 
What's remarkable about some of these protests is their true size and the numbers attending. What's even more remarkable, and this speaks more to our issue today, is how unconcernedly the mainstream media can continue to report fake news by reporting fake numbers and fake spins on the protests, even on events that we can see and hear with our own eyes and ears, For example, the fake numbers reported by the fake news media (laughs) about the size of the Berlin protests were so outrageously out of sync with reality as to amount to willful fraud or outright propaganda. So how many people do you think attended the Berlin protests on August 29th? Quote, we had millions, end quote. That's what Lesek Stozak reported to Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson on her August 31st YouTube video. And he was there. He reported, in fact, that there were two gigantic groups, one gathered in a specific area to hear speakers, etc., and this group was at least a million people. Unless I had apparently established a relationship with one of the official security people responsible for events held in Berlin, and who, as an insider, knew how to accurately measure the crowds based on the dimensions of the streets and the density of the protest-occupied areas in the city. So he knows that those estimates are in the ballpark of the real numbers. But that was just one group. Believe it or not, there was another group. And that was the one that wanted to do a march along a four-kilometer route. It was growing exponentially, according to Les. And he said that this This second group was easily more than a million and a half people. They were all calling for Merkel to resign. Then after about two hours, the police blocked the marchers, forcing them into about 15 different groups. So he was talking about literally 2.5 million people or more that showed up in Berlin on August 29th. Meanwhile, CNN reported, Thousands of COVID deniers protest in Berlin and London, while the mainstream media kept using numbers like thousands or tens of thousands in referring to the protests. It's not my intention today to dwell on the COVID-19 issue other than to use it as an exhibit for many of the eternal issues we talk about on this show all the time. So what are the elements that I want to take away from our COVID-19 exhibit? Well, first... It's the misrepresentation continually of numbers. Numbers that we refer to in the broader sense as statistics, which are often confused with facts, as we learned from our recent discussion with Professor Chris Essex. Most fascinatingly, these misrepresented numbers pertain to everything from the number of COVID cases, quote-unquote, and deaths, quote-unquote, being reported, to the number of attendees at any protest that doesn't support the left. And the second issue is that the misrepresentation of definitions, particularly of those key words pertaining to COVID-19 itself, whenever the definitions don't suit the narrative of the left. Third, the inherent and inescapable left-right polarization of the issue itself, which we will save for the end of our own discussion today, and which is the key point of today's show. And fourth and finally, the topic with which we will begin our discussion, the fake news media itself. This lies at the heart of all of today's major crises. (laughs) Lies being the operative term here. And I would include all of the censorship and social media shadow banning that goes on as part of the fake news media problem. The latest glaring fake news 
that has everyone talking this week is about the Atlantic Magazine smear of Donald Trump. Did you hear about that one? It sparked an absolutely fascinating and informative discussion that took place on September 5th between Tim Pool and Michael Malice. Let's jump right in. Most of you have probably seen this, so I'll just give you some quick context. The Atlantic. Trump, Americans who died in war are losers and suckers. The president has repeatedly disparaged the intelligence of service members and asked that wounded veterans be kept out of military parades. Multiple sources tell The Atlantic. Now, for me, I just call complete BS because it's too cartoonishly evil. Like the writers, whatever the smear is, and they didn't do a good job of making something plausible. There, there's no possibility in my mind that a president wouldn't, or Trump specifically, wouldn't want disabled veterans front and center because they're the best example of, look, they lost they, this, how much they sacrificed. Take a picture with me. I'm the commander in chief. This is an opportunity for them to look great with, with the, the populace. So that part, I think, is just absolutely ridiculous. Not, not only that, but didn't at the RNC, they had a bunch of wounded vets stand? At the State of the Union, he had that North Korean refugee who yeah. had his leg yeah. run over by a railroad. And he stood up and held his uh, crutch. That was a very powerful image, and Trump pointed him and applauded. This is cartoonishly evil. I, well, I, as someone who's an actual comic book supervillain, like, oh, yeah. you know, this, <laughs> uh, there's been a comic written about me. This is something that I kind of aspire to in a sense. But <laughs> it, it, the, the Atlantic has been a very malignant um, organization, an outlet for over a century at this point. Really? So, oh, yeah. So a lot of people don't realize the history of the Atlantic. And, and should I get into it now? Because let's, let's, do, let's do one more paragraph. Yeah, 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 please. So please. People, and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they go on to say that Trump, uh, in the first paragraph, they say Trump canceled a visit to the Ain Marne American Cemetery in Paris. He blamed rain for the last minute decision, saying the helicopter couldn't fly. They go on to say neither claim was true. Now, I, I got to point out, Jason Leopold from BuzzFeed has the FOIA request from the Navy. They've got numerous communications saying the ceiling's too low, visibility's too low. We're not going to be able to do this. And John Bolton, in his memoir, also independently right. described this event. And John Bolton, his memoir, was out to, to, at the very least, not be flattering to Trump. And he describes in the, the circumstance of this event exactly as President Trump later claimed the circumstances were. So you have independent, like six months ago, three months ago, corroboration of Trump's version of the events. When I saw and you would think, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you would think they would mention Bolton's you version. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Unless, unless the intention was to be so cartoonishly bad, right. every conservative would be like, it's so obviously fake that it's, it's, you know, they're dangling keys in front of a baby and the conservatives ran right to it. And the narrative of the violent riots and all the chaos in the streets and the Antifa killer is gone. For me, I look at this and I'm like, oh, come on, man. Everything, Trump has been campaigning since he got elected. He got elected in 2016, and then he kept having rallies nonstop. Right. He's been in full campaign mode. And like you mentioned, he's had wounded vets at his rallies. Of course. This is cartoonishly, it's, easy, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But there's one more thing I want to point out, and then we, and then we could hear about what's, what's up with this and what, sure. you know, the Atlantic. They mentioned that Trump said he didn't understand why the United States would intervene on the side of the allies. And that, you know, he asked, who were the good guys? You know, you know what I find wrong with that is, who were the good guys? Um us no no but see this is why i think that's something he could have said if he meant who were the good guys germany or england or italy or germany it was not a war of good versus evil it was a war of like kings versus uh, um shahs and, and versus kaisers it's like why are we involved here and it's a question that has never been answered to our satisfaction to this day so, and yeah, that's a very fair question. Yeah, this isn't a clear-cut good guys versus bad guys. This is, why are we there to begin with? I think... Because you, of the Atlantic. Because of the Atlantic. Because of the Atlantic, yes. Really? So this, this whole story goes full circle. 
Yes, that's the so the, I, I, let's go. Okay. Let's do it. So bring, bring on the history. Lesson. There's someone named Randolph Bourne, and Randolph Bourne is a very interesting, largely forgotten historical figure. He was the first person who was a journalist who was handicapped, who talked about being handicapped. This is something where handicapped people were invisible before, uh, and he brought that to public attention. He died in the uh, Spanish flu epidemic of I think it was 1918 oh, wow. or 1920 yeah. uh, because of his disabilities. He was a dwarf and kind of misshapen. His lung capacity wasn't what it could have been, and he invented the term war is the health of the state and what was happening during the great war remember Woodrow Wilson campaigned on he kept us out of war the idea that we'd be involved in a war in Europe completely violated the Monroe Doctrine this has been something that had been the uh, United States policy for 140 years George Washington in his farewell address which was written by uh, was written by Alexander Hamilton said avoid foreign entanglements so we're gonna go to save like Serbia against Italy against the Austro-Hungarian Empire it made absolutely no sense on American principles. How do you get Americans to change their minds? Well, we all talk about in school about yellow journalism and William Randolph Hearst, the Spanish-American War, remember the main. What they forget about is they act like somehow that changed. Like there's yellow journalism and then we don't talk about it and now everyone's objective. It's been the same yellow journalism for a, a hundred years and more. The bloodlust of the establishment, in which I include the corporate press, cannot be overstated. And what <laughs> happened with the Great War is for the first time, all the lefties became, we need to get involved, we need to be the policemen of the world. Um, William Jennings Bryan, who had been three times previously the Democratic nominee, who was a big left-wing populist, he's the one who brought like strong religion to politics. He was Woodrow Wilson's Secretary of State. He was a pacifist. He resigned over this issue. Wow. So you can't, the thing is, you cannot, to this day, as president, get people into war unless the press prepares them for it, yep. even if you have a draft. So what happened is all these lefties all of a sudden had huge ideas about, wait a minute, if we get into World War I, that will give us an excuse to micromanage the economy from A to Z. It had been bubbling under since the early 1900s, and now we have an excuse. We can imagine what it would look like if America was like a factory centrally managed from D.C., Randolph Bourne was the only one who said, uh, John Dewey, all, Walter Lippmann, they're all there. John Dewey, uh, uh, Randolph Bourne was the only one who said, this is crazy. This is not what progressivism is about. We're not about going overseas to fight on behalf of kings. What are you talking about? And they started saying, well, he's a cripple. You shouldn't listen to anything he has to say. He, he's crippled in body, he's crippled in mind. It was extremely wow. offensive. Same thing happened later with Helen Keller. Yeah. Helen Keller was a radical communist. And they said, oh, well, now you're, well, of course she's, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's mentally disabled. Wow. And she's like, I'm not mentally disabled. I'm deaf, dumb, and blind, but my mind is fine. Like, yeah, okay, there, go in the corner. So this is a pattern with people on the left. You're either with us or you're just someone who could be tossed in the garbage. Right. Um, and the Atlantic was one of the big, oh, and he became completely blacklisted. So, of course, once he starts speaking out about getting us into World War I, which makes no sense, which really destroyed so much lives for what purpose, uh, he was blacklisted. John Dewey wouldn't work with him. John Dewey was like the big leftist intellectual at the time. And they all signed on and sold their souls. And that was the big, this is why Woodrow Wilson, I think, is universally among the correct people, regardless of the worst president in history. Became, Among the correct people. Yeah, became the, uh, the, this is when America became globalist. So the Atlantic 
has a lot of explaining to do, which they never have had to do, for all their pro-war propaganda. And here's where it gets even more evil. Deborah Lepstadt did an amazing book called Beyond Belief. And the premise of this book was about what the press was covering as Hitler rose to power in Germany. Now, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have YouTube, anything like that. So they're getting all these reports, and these reports of what Hitler and the Nazis were doing you, you, you don't really have cameras even that much to that extent. Seemed crazy and implausible. Oh, maybe people, you know. And they pointed to all the war propaganda from World War I when they talked about how evil the Kaiser was. This was a world where the Kaiser is the most evil human being on earth. And that was later proven to be false. So they're like, listen, we heard this 20 years ago. Wow. You guys lied about the Hun and how the Hun's killing people and raping everyone. Oh, and now Hitler is here. And now he's doing these things. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. And this is a major impediment in stopping Hitler's rise to power. And you can lay the blame at agencies like the Atlantic, the New Republic, and all these other de uh, depraved and malfeasant outlets. This is actually a challenge right now with China. Yes. So, so with what they're doing with the Uyghur Muslims and all that. Yes. I've actually had people ask me, yeah, but certainly you don't think war is, you know, is the answer and things like that. Well, not necessarily, but we do have to recognize the things that they're doing. The videos we've seen, the reports that are coming out of China are horrifying. But what do we do? And I think a lot of people are now in this kind of purgatory where, yeah, we've been lied to too much. Yes. The media's gung ho. Go war. I think what Trump's Trump's the last the, the, the first president in a long time. No new wars. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that made me kind of turn on. OK, when he tried to pull the troops out of Afghanistan and, and, and bring our, our troops back. And I've heard opinions from a lot of people. But the, the, there, there is a real challenge in when is war appropriate. I would personally say, yeah, World War Two was something we should, Hitler should have been stopped a long time ago. It should have never gotten to that point. I didn't know that about how the, the fake news essentially impeded. You know, this book, Beyond Belief, is just absolutely mind-boggling. It's just amazing because she very much defends the press in the sense of you can understand why they were so skeptical because they heard it all 20 years ago. And this is Germany. This is a civilized country. They're going to be acting like they're going to be beating up old people in the street. Okay, come on. Let, let's, let's have some perspective. And it was true. The corporate press. Yes, the, the corporate press is the enemy of the people, and that is the moderate, <laughs> that is the moderate position. Well, you think yeah. so? Yes, I mean, they've been at it for over a hundred years. The significance of the conversation we just heard is this, that fake news has been with us since the beginning of anything that could be called news was invented, and that people have been grossly misled by it throughout history. It's a history that continues to be reflected in the major issues of our day, which apparently are COVID-19, climate change, and racism. And understand this, all issues created and defined by the left. The left wing creates the issues, the right wing reacts to them. Hence reactionaries, right? That's why the right has been unable to win in the greater political war. It has slowly adopted all of the ideologies of the left, or at the very least allowed itself to be controlled by the left, with the exception of Donald Trump, of course. And that disbelief expressed in the 1930s about Hitler's ongoing atrocities in Germany are today echoed by a similar disbelief and shock about the state atrocities going on in Australia over that country's unconscionable lockdown edicts. After all, this is Australia, a civilized country. You can say the same thing that was said about Germany. But with respect to World War I, Michael Malice asked, who were the good guys? Germany versus England or Germany versus Italy? 
World War I was not a war about good versus evil, but about kings versus shahs versus kaisers. And Malice's comments reminded me of some similar observations made by Professor Salim Mansour when he appeared on our broadcast numbered 581 and 582, which aired in November 2018. First of those two episodes was entitled The Great War, and the second was entitled The Age of Nation States. And you'll hear some great parallel observations in that show to what you heard from Michael Malice. And as if to echo our constant theme, that the left is a death cult, Malice several times during his conversation with Tim Poole, and I didn't play them all, kept emphasizing that, quote, the bloodlust of the establishment and corporate press cannot be overstated, end quote. And this would explain every one of their outrageous and irrational policies related to the COVID lockdowns and mask mandates. These are life-destroying policies, and it doesn't matter if a majority of the public is in support of them. The majority of the public has often supported its own destruction. Consider carefully Malice's observation that, quote, it is not possible for a president to get the people to support a war unless the press prepares them for it. Lefties saw World War I as an excuse to micromanage the economy from A to Z, and that was when America became globalist, end quote. Well, just change the event of World War I to COVID-19 or climate change, and the same goal and argument holds. You could say, quote, it is not possible to get the people to support either fiction unless the press prepares them for it. Lefties see the COVID-19 as an excuse for micromanaging the economy from A to Z. Or, lefties see climate change as an excuse to micromanage the economy from A to Z. You see the consistency there? It's not COVID. It's not climate change. And right now, the continual narratives in our news outlets and mainstream media are all geared to preparing everyone to support mandated vaccines and to micromanage the economy from A to Z. (laughs) So we shouldn't be surprised when the mainstream media reacts in panic to any information that competes with their own narratives. Narratives that all originate in leftist ideologies and philosophies. That's why we cannot avoid these labels. Freedom of speech is not a value of the left. Censorship is what the left supports and needs. Since everything the left says and does does not correspond with reality or reason. It's all designed to induce fear and obedience in the populace. And this brings us back to the eternal conflict between left and right, which unfortunately too many on the right seek to dismiss and ignore. By so doing, they are handing over every issue to the left by allowing the left to define them. That's how fascism became falsely associated with the right, which was a brilliant epistemological tactic played by the left, allowing the left to smear the right with every label from racist to climate denier to COVID denier, you name it. When we return from our upcoming bumper break, we'll be hearing the voice of lawyer Rocco Galati, who is leading a court challenge to the COVID-19 lockdowns and whose comments about left and right will help set the stage for the balance of our discussion today. Hi, uh, you just censored my video. Sure did. Why? You violated our community guidelines. I violated your community guidelines. Could you be more specific? You violated our community guidelines. Could you be a little more specific on what I did? You violated our community guidelines. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. Let me put it to you this way. 
you violated our community guidelines. My video wasn't hurting anyone. I don't understand why you would censor me. Oh, right. It says here you violated our community guidelines. Who even writes your community guidelines? <laughs> Not our community, I can tell you that. Lately, you've been censoring doctors sharing their valid medical opinion. You've been banning their videos too. Why? Well, their medical expertise violates our community guidelines. But you guys aren't doctors. Yeah, we're not. Then why would you censor what doctors have to say? Because we control speech. You think you can control speech? No, 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 not at all. We do control speech. Why would you want to do that? Because we have community guidelines and it's important that the community only speaks what's in alignment with the community guidelines. Otherwise, we'll censor the community for the community's own good. It's like communism without the cold weather. But that infringes on freedom of speech. Oh no, not at all. Our community is free to say what we tell them they can say. But that's not freedom of speech. It is according to our community guidelines. But not according to the Constitution. We don't have to abide by the Constitution because we're a private enterprise. You're a monopoly. Thank you. There's gotta be a reason why you're doing all this. Censoring speech, banning videos by doctors, talking about hydroxychloroquine, censoring anything about the coronavirus that doesn't perfectly align with the mainstream narrative. What's the reason? Oh, a reason? Yeah, absolutely. We don't want Trump reelected. What? Yeah, ever since COVID got politicized, we decided to ban anything that doesn't support the left's perspective. So you just decided to censor people? Well, they were violating our community guidelines. Got it. And those were written in a way that goes against Trump and supports the left. Exactly. You are currently not violating our community guidelines. Look, I'm not a fan of the guy and a lot of people don't like him, but why are you so intent on keeping him out of office. Here in Silicon Valley, we think Trump is all that's wrong in America. He is very un-American. But by taking away people's First Amendment right to freedom of speech and controlling what the population can and can't say like you're running a communist dictatorship kind of makes what you're doing to save people from Trump much worse than what Trump's doing. We choose not to see it that way. We are very American. You are very un-American. I think someone needs to save us from you. Our community guidelines that we've written for your protection will be all that you'll need. Take a copy. This just says community guidelines. Right. That's what you have to follow. But what are the community guidelines? Whatever we want them to be in the moment. This way it just stays pretty open-ended. You have a dangerous level of power over people. If you can't learn to enjoy conforming to the community guidelines and all the freedoms they give you, we'll be very happy to completely silence you by deplatforming you. I think what you're doing is a very bad idea. This video is brought to you by the First Amendment. Freedom of speech. It gives you and I the right to speak our minds and express ourselves. But here's the problem. When people and groups are driven by fear, they want to prohibit anybody from speaking a perspective that's contrary to theirs. That doesn't mean their perspective is correct. It just means their fear and insecurity drives them to try to control other people. But here's the good news. If you're a brave, strong individual, you won't let others instill fear over you just so they can have control over you. Instead, you'll exercise your personal sovereignty through bravery and speaking out against those who try to take your rights away. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. 
but you won't have to go there if you embrace, stand for, and help protect your freedom of speech. Get your First Amendment today by shattering the silence of peaceful slavery and speaking your mind. In the words of Brian Rose, I may not agree with everything you have to say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Freedom of speech, ask yourself if it's right for you. You know, uh, with all the respect to you and all your guests and everybody, and I know where you're coming from, but I don't think about left wing and right wing. You know, the political spectrum, in my view, is a circle, and the left, the left wing fascists and the right wing fascists meet at the other end of the circle, as do other spectrums in the in the uh, political spectrum. I'm an anarchist in the sense that I don't believe in in left wing or right wing fascists. I don't care who you are. And people forget, you know, there's been a propaganda, a successful propaganda over the, uh, in the last 70 years since World War II. You know, people touted people like Mussolini and Hitler as right-wing capitalist fascists. No, they were left-wing socialist fascists. People forget that. But to me, it doesn't matter whether you, whether you score left-wing or right-wing. It's the same hockey game, you know? And so... Absolutely. And, but I, I understand for convenience the need to identify left and right wing here in North America because that's how we analyze things. But I want to make it clear that it doesn't matter what the label you put on it. It's the actions. It's the it's the substructural reality that counts. Chomsky taught us that. Noam Chomsky proved it through language that, you know, the dog eats the apple. They used to say, grammarians used to say, is an active sentence. But when the apple was eaten by the dog, it was a passive sentence. Well, I'm a clinical ling linguist by, uh, before I went into law. The reality is the same. An apple is eaten and it's eaten by a dog. It doesn't matter how you phrase it. So if you're left-wing fascist or right-wing fascist who doesn't believe in personal autonomy, uh, informed medical consent, you know, it doesn't matter. It's still the infringement of your constitutional rights and if you if somebody wants to muzzle you, I don't care if they're from left wing or right wing. It's wrong. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Now, as much as I fully support Rocco Galati regarding his lawsuit against Canada and Ontario's unconstitutional lockdown measures, like so many other people who I see as being on the right, there are so many things wrong with his argument about left and right, to say nothing of its clearly obvious contradictions, that I feel compelled to address it, because it is such a destructive argument to those on the right, which of course is a label that Galati says he rejects, while simultaneously being forced to use that very label in his rejection of its use. The left has everything to gain from the arguments about left and right made by Galati, and the right has everything to lose, particularly its identity. What forced this issue to the surface again was, in part, so many of the similar arguments about left and right I've heard made during this whole COVID-19 scandal, but most immediately my conversation with Professor Christopher Essex last week, particularly the minute or so that went thusly. Well, I mean, one of the things uh, I find whenever I deal with... Uh 
people talking about politics and they start talking about left and right. And this is a kind of thing that is not properly defined. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I dealt with that problem for 30 years. Yeah. And I tried to avoid it until I finally came up with the right solution, which is a proper definition. And that's an epistemological journey, let me tell you. I see. In the end, there is no political spectrum. There are only two polarities. And we define them as left and right. They could have been called north and south or up and down, whatever we label, but they have specific meanings and they're consistent. And as long as you treat them consistently, everything makes sense. Well, and then nobody else understands you. That's the problem. Oh, they do if, they, if, if you give them the definitions before you talk, right? But people don't accept the idea of definitions as being important. They, 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 it's, it's amazing to me, but that's, that's the case. So you, you say, this is my definition, and they're just... <laughs> so it's... <laughs> uh, I mean, for, from my point of view, I don't really see... I never did see the difference between Nazis and communists as far as... There is no difference. They're both on the left. They're both on the left. Now, in that exchange between Chris and myself last week, Chris got everything quite correct with regard to positioning certain ideologies with their proper political polarity. In this case, he clearly recognized that Nazis and communists both occupy the left polarity. Correct. But how can that identification be of help to us? I mean, a lot of people might ask, okay, so fascism and Nazis both are on the left. So what? Well, the so what is not to abandon those terms. They are extraordinarily powerful, but right now that power resides mostly on the left. To make the terms left and right useful and a powerful tool for the right, two things have to be resolved. The first was accurately identified by Chris right off the top, that the popularized terms left and right are not properly defined. And this speaks to the power of definitions that Chris raised. When definitions are not agreed upon, this puts opposing ideologies on a Tower of Babel, unable to communicate with each other or even amongst themselves because they're all using different definitions for the same words and terms. When terms become subjective, watch out. This has disastrous and destructive consequences when attempting to implement this kind of thinking into political practice. And the second problem is the critical question that always remains unasked. Every time objections to the use of left and right are raised, whether those objections are valid or not. And I'll tell you what that question is, but not before I put the spotlight on Rocco Galati's somewhat misdirected and confused thoughts on the subject of political labels. He too left the critical question unasked and therefore unanswered. Says Galati, People forget that people touted leaders like Mussolini and Hitler as right-wing capitalist fascists. No, left-wing socialist fascist. Well, he's right. And this is very much similar to Chris Essex's correct observation that Nazis and communists were both on the left. It is the negative expression of the same point, this time rejecting the right-wing label being attached to both Mussolini and Hitler, who were fascist, and therefore both in theory and practice on the left. But then things fell apart and no longer made sense as Galati expanded on his political ideas. I'm an anarchist in the sense that I don't believe in left-wing or right-wing fascists. Well, what? I mean, wait a minute. How can he believe that after having concluded that Hitler and Mussolini were left-wing socialist fascists? If he doesn't believe that left-wing fascists even exist. I mean, he's attempting to place fascism outside of the left and right framework. And worse, he suggests that he's an anarchist. 
which is yet another philosophy of the left confused with the politics of the right, just like fascism is. And remember, fascism and anarchism are not necessarily exclusive to one another. Most fascist countries are in a state of anarchy, meaning that they lack governance. Fascism is not an act of governance. It's all about state control, which prevents governance. I don't think about left and right wing. The political spectrum is a circle, and the left wing fascists and right wing fascists meet at the other end of the circle, argues Galati. <laughs> well, I smiled when I heard him use that circle analogy, because I once walked down that very road myself during, you know, that epistemological journey I mentioned to Chris. And consider how in the very way he expressed his vision of a circular political spectrum that he was still forced to politically polarize the positions taken, arguing that fascists, quote-unquote, meet at the other end of the circle. The other end? Where the hell does a circle end? But a circle has no end. It's a circle. And now we come to the grand never-asked question that I mentioned earlier. If, as Galati suggested, the fascists meet at the other end... Well, then what's at this end? <laughs> Blank out. And again, by himself concluding that Mussolini and Hitler were left-wing socialist fascists, then that's what the other end must be, the left. Therefore, this end of a supposed circle has to be the right, which makes the whole concept of circle an unnecessary impediment to acknowledging a polarity that simply cannot be dismissed or avoided. It is politically suicidal to do so, and it's predominantly those who lean towards the right who continually make this tragic error. And what is it that properly sits on the right? Freedom, and all that it implies. But, says Galati, to me it doesn't matter whether you score left wing or right wing, it's the same hockey game. I understand that for convenience you need to identify left and right wing here in North America because that's how we analyze things. But it doesn't matter what label you put on it, it's the actions that count. Well, no, it's, it's not only for convenience that we need to identify left and right, it's a necessity. Particularly when you acknowledge that that's how we analyze things. Because if that's how we analyze things, then it's a matter of critical necessity that we clearly identify left and right in a manner that corresponds to reality. Every force that Galati is fighting in his lawsuit against the COVID-19 lockdowns is a political force of the left. To say it doesn't matter whether you score left or right wing is a glaring contradiction in a conflict that is entirely based on that very polarity. So why would a person as bright as and intelligent as Galati is make such a serious error. For the same reason that everyone else does, including myself in the early days of my epistemological journey. When someone like Galati is thinking about the right wing, he's clearly thinking about right wingers like Doug Ford and his progressive conservatives, which is a party of leftist progressivism. It's in the name of the party, for heaven's sakes. Just like Hitler's National Socialist German Workers' Party was well identified in its own name, even as others on the left continued to refer to the Nazis as a party of the right. Chris Essex noted that people don't accept the idea of definitions as being important, but in my experience, I actually think they're afraid of definitions because they're trying to prevent themselves from being held to an objective standard and therefore possibly being proven wrong. Definitions are the weapons of politics, and if someone who holds an incorrect view is forced to accept an objective definition, then he subconsciously knows that he has lost his debate. 
This is not a matter of my definitions versus your definitions, nor is it about semantics. It's a matter of the wrong definition versus the right definition. The whole study of epistemology is dedicated to this task. And like mathematics, it is a scientific discipline. Says Galati, so if you're a left-wing fascist or a right-wing fascist that doesn't believe in personal autonomy, informed medical consent, it doesn't matter. I don't care if it's left or right-wing, it's wrong. <laughs> well, or you could say it's left. You know, if you ask me, the word left in politics is just a polite way of saying wrong, since we should all know that collectivism is wrong, wrong, wrong in every dimension of its applications. But consider the perhaps inadvertent damage done to the cause of freedom because of the terms used by Galati. First, there's no such thing as right-wing fascist, since the right explicitly rejects fascism in favor of freedom and capitalism. Freedom is personal autonomy, and that is an exclusive property of the right, because it is right. By accepting the idea that there could even be such a thing as a right-wing fascist, which is a fake political term created by the left, by the way, Galati has done great harm to the right. He has not only again associated the right with fascism, but he has closed the door to what is the real alternative by denying freedom its rightful place on the right. I'll have more to say on this when we return from our upcoming bumper break, featuring on this side of the bumper the Daily Wire's Michael Knowles from his September 3rd commentary on statistics and science, which coincidentally reflected a lot of the points discussed in our conversation with Chris Essex over the previous two weeks. I don't pay a ton of attention to polls. Poll, uh, public opinion polls are a relatively recent invention of the social sciences, which I'm highly skeptical of. Anyway, polls famously were pretty wrong in 2016. Some people still try to defend the polls in 2016, but the fact is all of the meta-analysis of all these polls showed Hillary had a 99% chance of winning. And then when she lost, they said, no, they weren't wrong. It's just that the 1% turned out to be true. And that, this is the problem with not just polls, statistics. Lies, damned lies, and statistics. I got in trouble yesterday on the show because I made a point that conservatives, generally speaking, should shun statistics because statistics were created very recently by and for the liberal progressive establishment. Now, people were shocked. They said, Michael, what are you talking about? We need statistics. No, we don't. We, I mean, we can use statistics when they help us, but we've got to be very, very careful about statistics because I think some people, when they heard me say that, conflated statistics with facts, but statistics are not facts. St statistics in many ways are the opposite of facts. What does statistics mean? It refers to the state, data for the state. The word statistics comes from the late 18th century German word statistik. I don't know how to pronounce, I don't have a great German accent. Yeah, yeah, statistik, uh, late 18th century. This is derived from the new Latin statisticum collegium, council of state and the Italian word statista, right? St statist. Uh, this word statistic in German, first introduced by Gottfried Achenwall in 1749, uh, designated the analysis of data about the state, specifically the science of the state. And around this time, you see the advent of what you would call political science, the social sciences, economics, sociology, uh, political science, which was a new concept as opposed to political philosophy. The idea here being that there is a science 
not only to biology, well, even biology is a relatively new one, a science to physics, for instance, or a science to precise things that we can measure under a microscope. That's, there's not just that kind of science, but there's also a science to society. There's also a science to history. There's a science to human affairs and politics, and that you can measure, once you understand the science, you can know with scientific certainty how society should be governed. You can know how history will progress. You can know the end of history. You can know the right side of history. You can know all of these sorts of things by applying the methods of physical science to society and the questions that were previously explored by philosophy, philosophy of politics rather than a science of politics. So what, what social science does is it comes in and says, okay, we've got to separate the administration of society from politics. Politics is usually just all people arguing and trying to persuade one another and deciding how we want to live. Yeah, that's too messy. So what we've got to do is separate the way that society is actually governed by the administrative bureaucracies from politics. So ironically, what happens is that everything gets politicized. My cup of coffee gets politicized. My choice in clothing, my choice in sneakers gets politicized. Everything is politicized except for politics. The political questions are actually taken away and decided by these headless bureaucracies. And how do the bureaucracies create these policies? They use data given to them by another aspect of the liberal establishment, which is the university. And what does the university give you? Statistics. So they just write, they say, we, we, you've heard this, the whole coronavirus pandemic. This is actually the best time to think about this point. We've been told, look, I don't want to hear from politicians meaning I don't want to hear from our duly elected representatives, meaning I don't want to hear from how citizens want to govern themselves. I just want to be governed by science and data. The trouble is the idea that there is a science of society is complete BS. It is a lie used by liberals or progressives or leftists or use whatever words you want to take political power away from you grab it for themselves and never have it threatened because they say, well, we're just, we're just deferring to science. We need the green new deal. We need to redistribute trillions of dollars to our favored groups away from the groups that we don't like. Why do we have to do that? Oh, science. Yeah. We need to lock you all in your homes forever. And we need to have the federal reserve print up lots and lots of money. And we need to borrow trillions of dollars and we need to give it out to favored groups. Why? Oh, because of science. Um, Show me the science. I don't see the work there. And the, the raw material that goes in and, and is used to justify these kinds of policies is statistics. And by the way, where do these statistics come from? Usually it's, they come from some scientific paper, social scientific paper. So not actually a scientific paper. And the statistics have been compiled. They, they've been put into models that are obviously very fraught. That's why you might've noticed the models did not work out during this coronavirus pandemic. They often don't. The models about global warming have not turned out to be true. The models about any number of these things don't turn out to be true because as Dr. Fauci said, the models are only good as the statistics that you put into them. But who puts in the statistics? It's some grad student who never has their work checked, who, I don't know, maybe they have some weird methodologies. Maybe they don't even. It's a, it's a way of manipulating you. And Edmund Burke, the great conservative philosopher said, the age of chivalry is gone. That of sophisters, economists, and calculators has succeeded it. And the glory of Europe is extinguished forever. We cannot be those economists, sophisters, and calculators. We shouldn't be these egghead statisticians manipulating data and pretending that political, authentically political questions really 
should just be decided by a couple of eggheads in lab coats who pretend that they know the entire science of, of history and of politics and of society. It totally undercuts the concept of self-government and the, the political traditions that we so cherish. As your trusted health authority, I'll share with you why you should be more scared than ever before. But first, there's been a new twist in the COVID crisis. We just published research on the CDC website that shows only 6% of COVID deaths that we've been reporting to you were caused by COVID alone. 94% of COVID deaths had an average of 2.6 comorbidities. That means of the 161,392 COVID deaths that we've been shoving in your face, only 9,210 were legitimate COVID deaths. So does that mean we've been deceiving you and inflating the COVID death count by 152,182 deaths? Absolutely not, because we genuinely don't believe in math. And does this new information that proves that COVID is far less deadly than we've been trying to get you to believe mean you shouldn't live with intense fear anymore? Absolutely not. As your trusted health authorities, we consider our original estimates of over 2 million COVID deaths in the U.S. to be a far more accurate number than the 9,200 deaths that have actually happened. And of the 9,210 deaths, 90% of them were in people of advanced age which means young people are at extreme risk because you never know when your age is gonna advance by multiple decades all at once. People finding this published information and spreading it around on social media wasn't part of our pandemic because it puts people at risk of not being scared to death of this statistically not very deadly disease. Luckily, we started running smear campaigns on the sources that are highlighting this dangerous fake news that's based on facts. Look for terms like conspiracy theories and fringe theories that we use to make these new statistics irrelevant. And we're also having it censored on social media already for everyone's protection. And to help you further forget this new relevant information, we've also buried it on the CDC website. Good luck finding it. Only 6% of reported COVID deaths actually died from COVID? Now's a great time to discount people that speak of this new information with a well thought out, emotionally charged comment rebutting something they didn't say. Like, Oh, so you're saying you don't even care about the people that did die of COVID? You're glad they're dead? You just want sick people to die? <laughs> well, because they said nothing to indicate that, your emotionally fueled abstract assumption is obviously a more accurate expression of what they meant than what they expressed. Now we plead with you not to use this new information as a rational basis to rethink the level of fear that you're living under because rethinking your thinking could cause you to change your mind. And changing your mind is uncomfortable and a potential cause of COVID because our science fiction is yet to prove otherwise. And new information is the new outdated information. So you'll wanna stay with the times. So why should you be more scared than ever before? Because statistically speaking, your chances of not dying from COVID are 99.96%. And that means if you're in the 0.04% that does die from COVID, you have a 100% chance of dying. Take a look at the numbers. 
And luckily that means we're still justified in trying to ruin your lives to save your lives. In an effort to do so, please pay close attention to the COVID death count that will continue to run across your screen for you. Look, here it is. And so you can stay under your warm, wet blanket of fear. We'll neglect to adjust the death count for accuracy with respect to this new information. And we'll also continue to take away your rights for your protection. And just like how a woman abused by your husband might say, he only hits me because he loves me. You can repeat, they're only taking away my rights to protect me. And you'll continue to surrender your rights because you're scared. Now that we've confused any clarity you might've been feeling on the new COVID death count information, you can go back to sleep. Please stay tuned for more updates on what you should be thinking and feeling. Michael Knowles' description of government by science perfectly describes the current fascist approach taken by Ontario's Premier Doug Ford and his progressive conservatives. Now there's an oxymoronic name for a political party that needs definition. Progressive conservative, a left-wing right-winger. Think about it. <laughs> Left and right represent ideas, not people. We have other traditional political labels for people, and here you might say it is a sort of a political spectrum of sorts, from left to right being, say, radical, liberal, centrist, conservative, reactionary. These terms describe people in a political context, and with the exception of centrist, all of the other terms could easily be associated exclusively with either the left or the right. But the real key to understanding why left and right are only valid concepts when polarized is to examine the person who calls himself a centrist, or some variant of that term, like, you know, middle of the road. First, let's be clear, it is metaphysically impossible to be a centrist on any given single issue. Political choices are binary. Take, for example, a proposal to raise taxes. Yes or no? You can't pick yes and no. Doing that does not make you a centrist on the issue. It's every bit as meaningless as rejecting both yes and no. It's not a position. You're nowhere. Not in any center. Free markets or controlled markets? It's one or the other. You can't say I support a controlled free market, nor can you say that you support a free controlled market. <laughs> These are contradictory and incompatible concepts, as are all the valid concepts associated with either left or right. That is why they are unavoidably polarized. Complaining about the polarization between left and right is no different than complaining about the north and south magnetic poles of planet Earth. And just as mankind has used that natural polarity via an instrument we call a compass that can be used to guide people in the right physical direction, so too the natural polarity between left and right can serve as a political compass to keep us pointed in the right political direction. Free speech or censorship? It's one or the other. One cannot say, let's have some free speech and some censorship, as I've heard some people try to argue. Such a compromise would be no different than choosing censorship exclusively. And either choice would place one squarely on the left when it comes to the ideology behind these choices. Only freedom of speech legitimately would belong on the right. In any compromise between good and evil, evil always wins. And censorship is the evil in that example. So does this mean that the left is inherently evil? Yes, it does. The right has allowed itself to be defined by the left for the better part of a century, if not longer. 
And by the right in this context, I mean the right wing, which is something I make it a point to disassociate myself from at the beginning of each and every broadcast of this show. Too many people today who call themselves right-wingers actually sit squarely on the left. To many, right-wing simply means being fiscally responsible for socialist spending programs. That's not right. But many people who call themselves right-wingers legitimately are on the right. Here in Ontario, where I live, I have to assume that this group is perhaps among the most frustrated political groups in what remains of the free world. They constantly find themselves joining, supporting, or voting for parties using the words conservative in their name, only to repeatedly discover that it is the adjective, progressive, not the noun, conservative, that is the driving ideology of that party. Left and right are axiomatic concepts in political theory. They cannot be avoided nor replaced by any other non-polarized terms. Again, that's why terms like up and down or north and south or on and off would have served the purpose of polarity, except for the fact that there's no history or logic behind these terms to tie them to political ideas in a meaningful way. Use of the terms left and right evolved over time throughout history, ever-changing until the unavoidable polarity of having multiple binary political options cannot avoid being reflected in the much broader terms left and right. I've referred to this whole mistaken concept of left and right as the broken political compass in the past, and my own experience in this regard also screams for the necessity of fixing that compass. And we do that through the power of definitions. Because without a proper working compass, there is no way to steer the ship of state in a determined direction towards freedom. Otherwise, we will endlessly drift away from freedom without knowing that our political compass is broken and we are lost in a sea of conflicting and contradictory ideas. Now, in the broadest possible terms, which we have in the past and will again in the future refine and explain in detail, here's the essential differences between left and right. The left is platonic. It operates on the primacy of consciousness, whereas the right is Aristotelian and operates on the primacy of existence. The left represents the forced collective and group rights. The right represents individualism and individual rights. The left represents state central planning and control of the economy, in which the government is a key player in that economy. The right represents free markets, protected by a government that is only a referee, assigned with the duty of keeping that market free of coercion and fraud. And of course, in the end, the left represents tyranny, while the right represents freedom. And these are but a very, very few of the valid and demonstrable ideas and actions associated with either polarity. By using the labels of left and right to represent all of these values and more, we are able to, in the words of Rocco Galati, conveniently analyze our options. And when properly and objectively defined, the use of these labels will always work to the benefit of the right because, hello, that's where all the right values are. Remember, the number one rule in politics is define or be defined. And that's also our number one task, one that we will continue as we invite you to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, 
everything will be alright. Oh, if you fellas are gonna have a class reunion, I'd like to leave. Ma, who is he? Uh, Colonel Hogan, the ranking officer for the prisoners. Don't you remember me, Major? I was here when you were walking around the campus and your fresh beaming. Ah, yes, 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 I remember, yes. Now, what can I do for you, Major? He obviously wants a refresher course. In my camp. For that, you would have gotten two days in the cooler. If you had a nice white wine, it'd be worth it. <laughs> you must forgive Colonel Hogan's distorted sense of humor. You're still laughing over the one about the Italian allies. Oh, any dissension between the Germans and the Italians is purely enemy propaganda. Oh, bravo.